At the University of Arizona BioFive Institute, we are focused on tackling complex challenges such as disease, hunger, water and food safety, and other health and environmental issues facing our families, communities, and the world. BioFive brings together hundreds of multifaceted experts that include world-class scientists, engineers, physicians, and computational researchers in a team science environment designed to creatively solve difficult problems. This approach has resulted in disease prevention strategies, promising new therapies, innovative diagnostics and devices, and improved food crops. Join us each week as we talk about science with researchers, staff, and students from the University of Arizona's BioFive Institute. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Science Talks, a conversation hosted by the University of Arizona's BioFive Institute. My name is Sean Caden. And I'm Brooke Moreno. And in this series, we will be talking about BioFive seed grants. These were awarded to launch innovative COVID-19 projects. Soon after the pandemic started, more than half a million dollars was rapidly dispersed to supply 13 interdisciplinary teams with immediate funding to directly address COVID-19. With that funding, they would pursue basic science, technology, clinical, and or population-based research projects. During the course of this series, we will learn more about the inspiration behind some of those teams' projects, what the rapid funding allowed them to do, and the progress that they have made towards their goals. Today, we're joined by Dr. Kristen Pagriba-Brown, an assistant professor in the College of Public Health and a BioFive Institute member. Thank you very much for meeting with us, Dr. Brown. Thank you for having me. So we're gonna jump right in and ask you questions about your research. Okay. So to our understanding, your home department is epidemiology and uh, biostatistics, and right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So from your current research, how did having your background in that area help you quickly pivot to, to towards this COVID-19 focused research? Uh, so I am a infectious disease epidemiologist by training, and most of my focus is on foodborne diseases, but actually the reason I focused on foodborne diseases is because when I was working on my dissertation, I was really focused on outbreak investigation and response. And uh -huh. so I have worked, and I actually worked before I did my dissertation, um, helping to write pandemic response plans. So it was kind of... I couldn't really avoid it, right? When no it, when kidding, it, huh? So, so I worked in a, we had a public health um, training center for a very long time in, in um, public health preparedness. And I worked with that center with a college before I went back and did my PhD doing, you know, different types of preparedness training. And, wow. but really my, my heart is really in infectious disease and outbreak investigation and response. And I've worked with the county and state health departments for about 15 years in that capacity. So it was, it, like I said, it, it wasn't a huge pivot other than the sense that the pathogen I was working on was different than the pathogens I usually work on. Wow. That, it, you know, it would have been illogical had you not applied for this seed funding, right? Right, right. <laughs> I think it, it, it sometimes I, I, I think I told my husband, I was like, why did I say yes? And he's like, because you couldn't say no, right? Like you didn't really have a choice. So yeah. um, it was kind of like I've been, you know, building up my whole life for this. So I, I yeah. it really did um, 
That being said, it's, it is different, right? Everything about COVID is different than what we all kind of expected. I will say some of the, you know, the plans we spent a lot of time writing didn't, didn't include a lot of the things that we're seeing today. Um, oh, how interesting. We, you know, we expected, we expected some of this stuff, but I don't think we expected um, some others, but, but from a, a research perspective, um, the other thing is that we really already were working in, you know, infectious disease research and looking mm -hmm. at kind of trying to figure out how, um, how people kind of get sick and, and what are the repercussions of that. And with epidemiology, it's really, you know, as, as the science of public health, you really are, um, it's very methods based. And so mm -hmm. you can actually switch from different one disease to another because the methods in investigating those diseases are often the same. It's just a matter of, you know, having more um, biological information about how that applies. Sure. That's excellent. And what a testament to the existing resources that we have at the university that help us be prepared to address these impactful worldwide moments that come out of nowhere, right? Right, right. And I think that, you know, for, so for our pilot or the project that was funded for bio five, it was a, um, Oh, it's a long-term cohort. Oh, did you want to say something, Sean? Sorry. So just, just real quick. Uh, so the title of your project was very interesting. It's Infrastructure for Population-Based COVID-19 Surveillance. So I just, I wanted to put that out there. So that um, as, as a, when, when I see the word surveillance, uh, you know, obviously certain things come to mind. Mm -hmm. I, and, and and I, after reading some of the proposal, you were talking about contact tracing and, and how you get students involved. And there was a word that, keep, that kept popping up. It was uh, safer. So that's um, so that I know what it, that means. That's a student aid for field epidemiology response. So I don't know if you have a chance just to talk about that a little bit, because that seems, that seems very interesting. Yeah, so SAFER is a program that I started about 15 years ago with the College of Public Health, and it's essentially a student outbreak response team. And we have been doing different things with the county and the state health department. And, and like I said, most of what we did or have done is foodborne related diseases, because that's really what most of the outbreaks around the state end up being. But we've done we worked on H5N1. We've worked on, you know, measles outbreaks. We've worked on um, um, pertussis outbreaks. We've done a lot of different things over the years to help the health departments when they have outbreaks of other infectious diseases. So we had a good infrastructure to be able to have students come in, quickly get trained on how to do case investigations, and then be able to do you know, contact tracing. And, but I will say the level of contact tracing that we've done in the past is nothing compared to what we've needed to do oh, for, I bet, I bet. for COVID. And, and so the, the first thing when, when all of this started hitting in, in March is, you know, we worked with the, the Pima County Health Department. Um, I reached out to them and, and um, Bob England, who was the director at the time is actually my former um, advisor when I did my master. So we had known each other many for many, many years wow. and he supported the development of SAFER. So, so there's kind of already this synergy in place. And so I reached out to him and said, what can we do 
to help because as the case numbers were starting to go up, we knew that, um, you know, kind of we needed an all hands on deck approach. And so the first thing that became obvious is that we wouldn't be able to use, we have a, I have a laboratory, it's actually in Babcock, which is now the isolation. Oh. So that's not really um, an option right now. Plus, you know, we could only fit four people into Babcock at any one in our lab at any one point in time to do calls. So we really had to pivot to being entirely um, virtual. So we wow. created basically a virtual call center um, to be able to do this work, worked with UAIT, which was um, their, their group was really, really phenomenal in helping us out. We got a HIPAA compliant portal built within oh, very cool. two weeks. Um, wow. they, did, they did a lot of work for us and really for the benefit of the state. Um, when you, because, if I can ask real yeah, quick, when yeah. you say we, do you mean you and your research lab, you and the safer group? Both? It's kind of a mix, right? So my, so my team, so, so safer really is it's a response team, but we also do research. So it's kind of this, because what I normally focus on is a lot of applied research. And uh, so my normal research, um, before all of this started is we were looking at the long-term outcomes of foodborne diseases. So what that meant is that um, students who are in SAFER and we're doing the routine surveillance investigations and case investigations for say salmonella, right? So as people get sick of salmonella, um, they get, that gets reported to the state health department and then they do a regular case investigation. So oh, that my, is so cool to do as a yeah. student. How cool is that? So students have been doing that with us and it's, and it's one of very few programs across the country that do that. Um, it's wow. recognized by CDC. And, and we, so we help the, by doing these investigations, but then, so there, that's kind of where the applied piece goes. And so students who are doing their degree in public health are able to do those investigations and do that applied work with the health department. But then we have, um, we also have research whereby after someone does these kind of routine investigations, they, um, we ask them, are you interested in enrolling in a research study to see what kind of the long-term outcomes are? Ah. And if they say yes, then they do the regular, you know, consent form and that process. And then they enroll in a research study to look at what are the long-term impacts of, of these diseases. And so, um, like I said, normally I do foodborne diseases and that's something that, that there's not a lot of, there's a lot of emerging and new research on what the long-term impacts are. For instance, like IBS and other kinds of outcomes are known to be associated with um, foodborne pathogens. And so I was in a pretty good, I guess, methodological place yeah. when COVID hit, because early on when COVID started um, hitting and we started getting reports from other countries, we were hearing stories about people who just weren't recovering very quickly. They were having these long-term impacts. Right, right. So, um, basically, the, the infectious disease epidemiologists in our department and the chronic disease epidemiologists who normally don't get to work together very often, um, we paired up and we said, all right, we need to think about how we could create a study so we can look at both 
what are the acute impacts of COVID, but what are also the long-term impacts of COVID? Very and cool. So your work is looking to address yeah. issues related to this pandemic well after we have it under control. Correct. That's pretty cool. So, so the, the study that we um, proposed and we got pilot funding from Bio5 to do was to essentially mimic what I've been doing for pharma to do it for COVID. So we started with, um, we got permission from the Pima County Health Department to once we did um, interviews with patients to say, you know, what are the chronic outcomes, or I'm sorry, what are the um, acute symptoms you're having? You know, where have you been? You know, the, the, the routine public questionnaire. And then when they're done, we ask if they're interested in participating in a research study related to COVID. If they say yes, then they get directed over to, we have a red cap survey and they get directed there and then they can enroll into our study. And we have some of the same questions related to symptoms, but then we're going to, we track people over time. And the idea is that we will do two years of follow-up for people. And, and so, so that's where it started is let's see for the people who have been cases and are reported to the health department, um, what's kind of their experience long-term. But when we got the money, and so as soon as we got the money from Bio5, like we had already kind of started thinking about this and doing, doing that. But what we realized is we really wanted to go bigger. We really wanted to create not just a a study of the people who've been infected, but also a much bigger kind of population-based. Ah. And so that we could recruit not just the people who've been sick, but also people who haven't been sick. So we have some comparisons, right? Because it's cool. good to know what the experience of the people who've been sick are, but what is that in comparison to people who haven't been sick? And then really where does that difference lie? <clears throat> so what we started doing once we got the funding from Bio5 is we really started doing additional recruitment outside of just those case investigations. So we, we've done population-based recruitment where we've sent out, we've done, um, we've sent out about 45,000 postcards. Um, to people. Um, actually, we've done our best just in Pima County. Um, and so we kind of created these postcards and got them printed. And so we've done a lot of population-based recruitment so that we can get people from a more diverse area. Are you targeting Pima County? We're doing, we started with Pima County, but actually, so all of this evolved once, so we started doing, so kind of there's kind of like two parallel tracks that were happening simultaneously. There was the study and then for SAFER and our public health kind of emergency response, we were continuing to do the um, these case investigations for Pima County. And then when in the summer, when Maricopa County first hit a thousand cases in one day, we got a call from Maricopa who we've worked with for many years and they said, we need help. And we said, wow. okay, let us know how we can help. And then about two days later, we got a call from Yuma County and said, we need help. So, yeah. um, ah, how cool though. So we now work with, so we had Pima County, Yuma County, Maricopa, um, Pinal and Cochise County. So, oh, so cool. So we started with initially just doing those case investigations 
for them as a public health response. But then as, as we started doing those over time, um, I reached out to each of those county health directors and said, can we recruit case patients from um, that we interview into our long-term study? And they all said yes. Oh, fantastic. So that's the way we've been able to really kind of partner this applied public health response to the research that oh, so research cool. and so we're using it to recruit people and then now we're also we've now sent um post we've done the same kind of postcard recruitment in yuma county and in pinnell county as well wow. community so partnerships so I, important i was just right. going to say it, it seems like there's a lot of collaborative elements here one of the key tenants i believe of bio5 is is a collaborative spirit and it sounds like you're working with a lot of different people uh, have you have you had any kind of tips for you know how you work with all these different groups of people? They all have their different organizations and their different ways of doing things, and and how you get to the bottom of that and try to make it as efficient as possible. I mean, we're all, as we said earlier uh, in our talks prior to the Zoom cast, 2020 is is a different year. <laughs> So, so, so even in 2020, though, you have to find ways of being able to, to tie a lot of these things together, get a lot of people to communicate in ways that maybe like via Zoom, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, get people to communicate and, and, and get the information that you need from them. Have you found any strategies that have been helpful for you? Well, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, communication, communication, communication. I mean, I think it all really gets back to um, constantly working to let people know, you know, what you're doing, how you're doing it, um, being open to new collaborations that you didn't necessarily anticipate, um, paying attention to what other people are, are working on and trying to kind of think a little bit more out of the box about how they could be involved. And then just asking, you know, I, I feel like there's been people that I've asked if they want to be, if they want to participate in this study with us, who maybe I wouldn't, you know, normally have thought to ask, but I thought, well, what's the harm, right? I mean, if they're, if they're not interested, they'll yeah. say no. If they are interested, um, then, then they'll, they can Ooh. add something to, to the study. So, so I think I, I kind of always, um, take the approach of it doesn't hurt to ask right. and a lot of times you'd be pleasantly surprised um, with what um, people are willing and able to to bring to the table um, when they when they feel like they they see the value added for for themselves and for their work um, but also right now I, I feel like the one kind of shine or like one good thing that's come out of 2020 um, has been the number of collaborations that we have been able to build in public health and and the number of collaborators that I have have had much better relationships with just because we've kind of everybody in public health it doesn't matter what you've done right or what you did everybody is hyper focused on COVID right now because it's yeah. really so on the forefront of all of our minds and so I think a lot of people just want to say, how can I help, right? What can I do in order to, to do some of this? I mean, I had faculty who at the very beginning 
volunteered in, in my virtual call center to help. And they did case investigations and they made phone calls and they, Oh, you know, that's awesome. Right. And because they knew how important it was and, and we're back, you know, we're back at that place again right now in Arizona where we're worse off than we were over the summer. And so I do think that, um, that as far as collaborations go, I really feel like having, having a common goal has been helpful. And at this point, it's really just, you know, what can we <laughs> improve public health? Nice, big um, common goal there. Right, exactly. And, and like I said, and just, and just letting people know, you're like, I'm not exactly sure what, how, how this is going to work. And you know, we always say, you know, we're, we're building the plane as we're flying it while simultaneously writing the training manual. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, you know, and I think it just kind of asked for permission and say, we're, we're, we're doing the best we can. Let's see what we can do. And I think I've been really amazed by the amount of work that we've all been able to, to get done in such a short period of time. I, Amazing. I, I feel like we could probably talk to you for hours and hours. Yeah, no kidding. We have a, uh, I think we're getting close to the, to time. Brooke, do you have any, any closing questions? let's see well we've talked about the research the science the collaboration do you give us give us a fun fact what's something we the university might not know about you outside of your work uh what you've done with covid um all right i'll give you a fun fact but before i do um i do want to put in a plug for the study which is that anybody can enroll in the study so all you have to do is be a resident of arizona and if you go to, it's um, C-O-V-H-O-R-T, so it's cohort, cohort. so it's a play on word, it's the COVID cohort, so <laughs> cohort.arizona.edu, and people can enroll in, in the study to be, whether they've been sick or not, and if you become a case, then we can track you over time as well. And we're also linked up to other studies like the Arizona antibody study. So if people are interested in participating in that. So we have, we've paired up with other studies. We also work with ASU. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have researchers up there. So we're really trying to build as much of a statewide collaborative as we can. Um, and right now our goal is to get to 10,000 participants. And right now we're almost at 2,400 and that's just since May. Wow. Gotta go. So that's really amazing when you think about the number of people that we've had enrolled. And again, that's largely due to the pilot funding that we were able to get from Excellent. Bio5 because we were able to actually get recruitment off the ground so fast. So, um, so I do want to thank the Institute for that. Um, so for my fun fact, it's kind of work related, but um, so I guess it would be that I've been to the Super Bowl twice. Ooh. Both for work. Right. So for work. Oh, for work. Yeah. So we have one of the things that Safer um, has has done, and we haven't done it lately. Well, obviously not in 2020. Is we've done uh, we do infectious disease surveillance for large events, uh -huh. and so because of that, we've actually worked with um, different agencies, and so. Um, my, I've been able to take students to Super Bowl twice now, um, when it's been <laughs> up in Phoenix and do, um, do surveillance there and you kind of get like an all access backpack. Oh so my that's, God. that's something you don't actually normally get to do as a, as an epidemiology professor, but, but that's, that's one thing that we've been, been able to, 
kind of create an yet another collaboration on. Did you even watch the game or? I got a little bit of the game because I, um, okay. there's a supervisor. My students are mostly stuck in the first aid rooms, but, um, <clears throat> but I'll be honest. I mean, Super Bowls are usually not the most exciting games anyway, um, but sure. the halftime show is more interesting than the game itself. But, yeah. um, but it's, it's been, uh, that's, so hopefully some days, you know, someday soon we'll be able to get back to ah. you know, crowds and people. <laughs> and at that time, Dr. Pergriba Brown, if you need a volunteer to go with you to Super Bowl, I, right. I will let I you will, go. I will I'm willing to make that sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> Shameless plug. So, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, Brooke. So, so uh, 2021, as, as you may know, is, is going to be right around the corner and Bio5 is going to be celebrating its 20th uh, anniversary as a hub for research. Uh, and, and a, you know, a minute or less, would, what would you say Bio5 means to you in, in, uh, in celebration as we all talk about, you know, Brooke and I have had several conversations about what Bio5 means to us. And we've both been with Bio5 for quite a few years now, so. So in your experience, what does Bio5 mean to you as we enter our 20th year? So I think the, the biggest is that it focuses on team science. And I think as much as, you know, I, I really truly believe that we are not going to be able to solve a lot of the bigger problems that face us as a, as a world, as a society, if we stay in our silos. And so the only way that we're going to be able to address these bigger problems is through team science. And so having an institution that their sole purpose is focused on collaboration, bringing scientists together, bringing people and physically in the same space, virtually together in other ways, I think is critical going forward. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm not just working with people, other epidemiologists, I'm working with, you know, policymakers, I'm working with clinicians, I'm working with people who are doing a lot of different aspects of, of science. And I think that's really important to address these different areas and to make sure that we are continuing to move forward and we're not, um, you know, finding solutions that only work in a vacuum. And so we really need to be able to make sure that we're looking at the bigger picture. And that's the only way you do that is through collaboration. Oh, that is a great plug for bio five. Right thank you very much. I appreciate it. So thank you for being part of our first interview. Uh, we want to thank Dr. Graber Brown again for joining us today. It was wonderful to hear about the progress that you've made in your COVID research and, and your other research. Uh, please join us for future Zoomcast, where we'll continue to highlight our amazing University of Arizona researchers. Uh, to learn more about the Bio5 Institute, please visit our website at bio5.org. And from all of us here at the Bio5 Institute, thank you for joining us. Thanks to our audience for tuning in to another episode of Science Talks. Continue the conversation with us next time as we learn more about the science happening at the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute.